So there's really four big buckets that uh, we can drop these practice transitions into. Think of it kind of like a grid. We can sell to a private veterinarian or a group of private veterinarians, or we can sell to a private equity group, a corporate, if you will. Both of those on the y-axis there have two options. We can sell all of the practice or we can sell a percentage of the practice. And so kind of summarize, we can sell a percentage of the practice to a private individual or we can sell all of the practice to a private individual. We can sell part of the practice to a corporate group. um, And that's the same partnership that we were talking about above. But the corporates like to call it a joint venture or a JV. And so this is, you know, kind of one of our definitions. They'll use the word JV instead of partnership. Or we can sell all of the practice to a corporate or or private equity group. That is Dr. Lance Rosa, and he's joined by Dr. Bree Montana. Both are veterinarians, practice owners, and so much more. And this is the Vin Foundation's Veterinary Pulse podcast, and the second installment of the Future So Bright series on the ins and outs of selling a veterinary practice. I'm Jordan Benshia, Vin Foundation's Executive Director. Join me and our co-host and Vin Foundation board member, Dr. Matt Holland, as we talk with veterinary colleagues about critical topics and share stories. Stories that connect us as humans, as animals, as a veterinary community. This podcast is made possible by individuals like you who donate to the Vin Foundation. Thank you. Please check the episode notes for bios, links, and information mentioned. Welcome back, Bree and Lance. Thanks for being here. We are excited to kick off another episode of the Future So Bright series, the ins and outs of selling a veterinary practice. Um, Hey, Bree. Hey, Lance. Hey, Jordan. It's so good to be here with both of you. Hello. Great to hear you. So in this episode, we are going to be discussing the different types of practice sales. As many of you listeners know, Dr. Bree Montana is our team lead for our Vets for Vets confidential support group and a practice owner. And Dr. Lance Rosa is joining us to help shed some light in his areas of expertise, which are quite vast, (laughs) including being a veterinarian, an attorney, a practice owner, and multiple other things. Um, So I kind of want to tie back to in our first kick off episode, Lance ended us with giving Bree some homework. And that homework was, as a practice owner, one of the things he suggests starting with is really defining and figuring out what your why is, right? Why do I want to sell this practice? And so, I mean, let's just start first and foremost. Bree, how did your homework assignment go? Oh, man, homework. (laughs) (laughs) You think that you'd be done with homework after all that school, but no, there's more. (laughs) Life has homework right there for you. Um, So my homework's gone pretty well. I've been, um, for those of us that are in a similar stage to where I am in life, where um, where where you've owned your practice, you know, I've been practicing for 30 years and I've owned my practice for 20 years and I'm ready to sort of um, open up for a different kind of adventure. Um, And so I've been spending a lot of time thinking about how much practice do I want to do? What do I want my life to look like in a year, in five years, in 10 years? Um, And 
And all of this is uh, spiced with that special spice that comes from life. Um, that being that my husband <laughs> has a very uh, strange and aggressive form of cancer that three other people have. So it's all Aww. kind of uh, coming together in a way that I could see it as something that's being done to me, but I'd rather grab the reins and really jump on and have it yeah. be something that I'm doing to make my life go in a direction that makes more sense for me. So for my, my why right now, and just ask me in five minutes, it'll be different. Um, <laughs> my why for right now is that I need to have more latitude and more freedom in my life. I need, I, I mm -hmm. love being an owner. I love, you know, um, I wanted a bear hugger. So I bought a bear hugger, you know, and when I worked for somebody else, it was never that way. When I wanted an ultrasound, um, they, there was never any money for an ultrasound. And I'm on my second one now um, that's new and and beautiful. And so that's what I love about practice ownership. But practice ownership also comes with a 365 day a year obligation to uh, be kind of bonded to whatever's going on at the practice. And I really right. need more freedom from that. So I want to keep learning and growing and, you know, um, practicing excellent medicine, but I want to do it on a scal scaled back uh format, I guess. I want to do it in a way that allows me more freedom to be there when Bill needs me, um, when he needs to go travel and have some fun with me, when we have the opportunity to enjoy living in North Lake Tahoe and, and you know, being outside, I want to be able to do that. So my why is I'm is, is more about I'm pivoting into a lifestyle that's going to allow me more freedom. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I'm really wanting to see this as an adventure and something that, um, I'm creating just like I've created, you know, my whole career really, um, as opposed to something that life's done to me. So that's going to be my point of view. And I want to really take this opportunity because who gets the opportunity to, to speak to, with Lance, somebody who's, um, so knowledgeable <laughs> and has done so many different kinds of things with his career, with his veterinary license, with his law license, um, and with his sort of, um, background who who gets the opportunity to work with somebody like that and say what are all the different ways that I can move my practice forward and move my career forward in uh, in a way that allows me to have more freedom and less um, less uh, business responsibility right and I think you know that just to touch on that a minute I think that we hear with the vets for vets program and a lot just how colleagues are yearning for that more freedom and the ability to kind of take more control over their life and to, as you said, feel like I'm living my life versus life living me, right? I think that's a common thing that we hear in the veterinary profession. I think it's a common here that I think it's a common thing we hear across the board in all different types of professions. And especially, I think one of the blessings out of COVID, if there are any, are people are taking stock in their life right? People are taking stock in what's important to them and what do they value and where do they want to put their time and effort. Right. So I think that this podcast series is very helpful for that as well. So I think great job on your homework. I would get <laughs> an A plus. Lance, what grade does she get? <laughs> great job. Very, very insightful, very thoughtful. And yeah, thank you for the kind words as well. So um, but a but a, a very well thought out thing. I know, you know, and I hate to hear that life has dished you some you know, some surprises and, and, and the timing is, is, uh, you know, also very interesting with what's going on in our industry as well. Um, you know, as far as the number of practices that are being sold, the number of, you know, private equity groups and corporations coming into the practice. And so it's, it is a, it's a very interesting time, 
both in your life, Bree, and then also in the industry as well. So it's it's uh, funny how that came together. The one thing that I really, you know, kind of peeled out of what you said was, is, you know, you're really looking for that desire to, to scale back. And yeah. I'm hoping you kind of dug in on that. You know, what, what does that mean? What is scale? How much are we talking as far as scaling back? And what does that mean to you? What is a, and I think the fact that you're, you're stopping and saying, what does my, let me, let me live my life, not the other way around. But what does that mean on a very granular level, on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, uh, when you are talking about scaling back? Yeah, um, it, that's that's like a really difficult to answer question. I think for not just for me, for but for so many of us, because um, uh, one day I'm uh, in the trenches and I'm just having things. Uh, things are going quickly and things are interesting and cases are cool and I'm just really all about it and things are great. And then the next day, maybe somebody gives notice at work and like, well, I'm just done. <laughs> you know, I just don't want this anymore. Um, and so it's yeah. kind of a, it's a, it's a work in progress, uh, what I want things to look like. Um, and I, I think that for so much of my career, like so many of us, um, we, I, you know, I started, I worked when I went to school and um, I was always working full time and going to school because I was, you know, paying for school. Um, and then I was practicing and then I'm practicing and raising my daughter and then I'm practicing and doing all these other things. Um, and so I've never had uh, those two beats together to think about things. And so mm-hmm. I'm really trying to carve out some time to think about things. And I encourage all of us that are thinking about their transition to the next step is to carve out that time to kind of feel like what it would like be like for them. One of the things I know for sure is that if I get a, if I get the freedom of time to not have to work, I know that I will want to work at some level. Um, I'm not going to. I just am not the kind of person that's not going to do anything. I know I'll continue with my vets for vet stuff. And I, I suspect that I'll probably want to continue to adv- practice advanced dentistry. That's one of the things that's been my field of interest lately, uh, last few years. And so I'm probably going to go more in the direction of specializing on that and provide that to the practice once I've sold it. Interesting. So it's that's uh, that's great to hear that you're not uh, you know planning on leaving practice completely, that they're you know, from what, from hearing you talk too, it really sounds like you really do love practice. You love many components of practice. You just don't love all the stuff that comes with practice. The one example that you gave was, uh, you know, on an employee issue. And obviously, um, that is the, the number one driver of, of gray hairs among veterinarians (laughs) is, is is managing employees and, and, and dealing with the, the team on a daily basis. Yeah. I, um, Team building, uh, so I, I kind of see things in separate pots in practice management. Um, I have the science and medicine aspect of it. Um, there's a the business aspect of it, and then there's a team building aspect of it. And I, I really love team building, and I really love um, practice. I'm not really that cool with the the um, business management stuff. I don't really care about any of that. As long as there's money in my checkbook at the end of each month, then I'm satisfied, which is really, I'm so embarrassing, but true. Um, you know, I'm just not, I don't, I don't understand any of that aspect of, of, of practice management and I've only been doing it 20 years. So of course I don't understand it yet. Um, but yeah, um, I love medicine. I love, I love being a veterinarian. I love practicing medicine, but right now it's too much for me. So for me now I need to get uh, part of my big why is I need to get unhooked from some of the carriage that I'm pulling. You know, I can't be pulling that whole cart. Um, I need, I need to have more freedom to come and go a little bit more so that I can be more in my personal life when I need to be. 
I hear you. You know, in the, in the conversation we're having is not, not an academic conversation. It really has a lot to do with what your options are. And so as you, as you start to, you know, really elicit what you want and what are the things that your life needs at this point in time, uh, what are you, what do you enjoy, you know, in practice, you know, from day to day, you know, that really drives what your options are and what you can do, um, you know, with your practice, you know, the beautiful thing is, is you do have a practice to sell, um, you know, and, and practices are very, you know, valuable assets, but exactly how you effectuate that sell to who or to whom and to, and, and how much of the practice, you know, really drives on what you want to look at after, after you sell the practice or a portion of it. And I think that's what we really need to spend some time talking about today or mm-hmm. what are, what are those options and which of those options fit into your, your needs and your wants. Right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I see today as sort of like a, a blue sky brainstorming uh, period where wherein we can talk about all the different ways of transitioning from being a solo or, you know, a, a practice owner where I'm the practice owner, I own everything myself, and maybe I have a bunch of associates, which I don't, but I would love, um, <laughs> um, um, you know, transitioning from being that person that's responsible for all aspects of the practice to being someone that's perhaps partially responsible or somebody that has completely divested the practice, whether that be to a corporate entity or to um, a veterinarian who wants to own a practice and take the reins or maybe to a group of veterinarians. I mean, there's Lance, this is where I'm turning to you to say, um, kind of give us um, a feel for all the different ways we can go. Well, you really, you really nailed it. And you really pointed it out that there's really, you know, our first kind of why in the road is or fork in the road is, is, you know, how much of the practice to sell. And so in this, this is the, one of the bigger questions that, that veterinarians selling veterinarians face and in my clients face, do I sell 100% of the practice or do I sell a certain percentage of the practice? If I'm going to sell a certain percentage of the practice, how much um, of that practice do I sell? Um, And it really, I don't want to say it's, it's regardless of to, of of the buyer. um, But then breaking down from there, we really have another fork in the road um, is do we sell to a private veterinarian, another practicing veterinarian, or as you mentioned, and I love that mention a group of veterinarians, or um, do we sell to a corporate entity? Um, Both of the options selling 100% or a partial sale are both available to both private uh, practice sales or private veterinarian sales and also uh, to the corporate side. So we really have four large buckets, more or less, that these practice transactions, transitions fall into. And, you know, and, and a lot of folks make the decision on the flip side first and they'll say, I want to sell to a corporate or I want to sell to a private, you know, entity and then make the second decision 100% of the practice or a percentage of the practice after that, I, I think that we really need to make that decision in reverse and say, do I want to sell all the practice or a part of the practice? Because it's going to change the way that you ultimately market the practice, the way you talk to those buyers and the way you set yourself up for the sell as well. Mm. Yeah, my 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 bar, Barbie's dream practice uh, fantasy would be that uh, I and two other veterinarians um, 
would own the practice together. So we would each have, you know, 33% or a 30-40-30 split um, so that there's lots of people that can kind of add energy to the practice and help lift up and carry the practice um, and also carry the management duties. Um, I don't know how to make something like that happen, but that's been what, you know, that, that, that's my, 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 my dream beach house situation. It's funny that you say that because some of the, the most successful uh, practices that, that I've been a part of, that I've, that I've worked with and consulted with, and the most, some of the most successful transactions that I've set up were exactly that, where we have one or two veterinarians or more you know, come into a partnership. And that's exactly what you're describing. So, you know, and, and even more so an even partnership where we have, we can spread out that management. We can spread out that time commitment at the practice. Um, and, and it is a, uh, and when done right, it is extremely successful. I would argue that some of the most successful practices in veterinary medicine are structured on that, that partnership model. The nice thing about that is that it feels like um, the practice can continue on and, and new energy can be added into the practice in five or 10 years when they want to bring another associate in uh, to, the, to the ownership management group. And then that's an easy transition for the person who's transitioning out. Yes. And, and I'll tell you this, that that's if we look at other professions and, you know, and, and on the attorney side, I've had a chance to to look at and, and, and study law firms. Same thing on, you know, other professional firms, be it accounting firms or engineering firms. That's the model that they use, you know, regularly in other professions where the practice is intentionally divided into partners and, and people work until they, quote unquote, make partner. Um, and obviously they work after partnership as well as they near retirement. They cycle off partnership, uh, new, uh, new individuals come in and take those partnerships and the life of the business, the life of the firm, the life of the, the practice uh, continues on. And so this model is not something that's just successful in veterinary medicine. It's successful in other professions as well. So, you know, from a uh, and I think one of the things we should do today is really look at the pros and cons of each of these uh, advantages and disadvantages of all of these models. That's a real advantage. Um, and to that that partner that is that is giving up their shares, um, that is that is selling part of the partnership. Um, yeah, at first glance, hey, I'm, I'm I'm selling something that's very valuable. I only have you know, let's say thirty or forty uh, percent now. Um, you know, I'm only going to take thirty or forty percent of the of the profits. Um, but the advantage is is you have what what Breeze just described is, you know, you have the ability to take vacations and step away from the practice and know someone is there that's going to care for that practice in the same way that you did as an owner. Uh, you know, the, the hard part, let's talk about some disadvantages here. The disadvantages is obviously working within a partnership. Mm -hmm. uh, partnerships are difficult yep. uh, for those of us that are married, uh, probably know that <laughs> uh, from the, they just certainly have ups and downs. Um, you know, an old, old adage uh, in the law is, is, you know, partnerships are ships that don't sell. And so uh, that's a, you know, there, there are plenty of partnerships that have gone sour as well. Uh, so this is one of those things where selecting that partner, uh, bringing that partner on, and then also working with that partnership takes active work. So it takes a different set of work. It's, it's right. the work doesn't go away. It takes a different set of of skills, of emotional intelligence, communication skills, you know, and, and just overall work to keep that partnership healthy. Partnerships that aren't taken care of, that aren't that aren't um, you know uh, uh, grown and developed and massaged, 
um, they fall apart and, and they can fall apart in a very spectacular fashion as well. So, you know, there are certainly pros and cons to the partnership model. Personally, I am a big fan of partnerships. I've been, I'm still in successful partnerships, um, but I know the work that's involved in, in, in making sure that those partnerships remain successful. Lance, are there, are there businesses that, um, are able to kind of help shepherd us through that kind of relationship, help us find uh, people to buy into our practice. I mean, how is that done? I feel uh, here I am, I'm up in North Lake Tahoe and I've got 15 feet of snow all around me. I don't really feel like I can go out <laughs> and find somebody today. <laughs> now, who, yeah, um, who does it? Uh, who, who do we turn to? Well, I'm certain, I'm sure that there are consultants, um, you know, and there's certainly practice brokers that do those things. The traditional way that this is done, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm sure you know, this is, is, you know, it's there that those partners are brought on as associates and ultimately they make partner, um, you know, and this is done over a series of years. Um, you know, Bree, given your, you know, set of life circumstances, um, you know, that time is, you know, that time to hire an associate, which is obviously difficult in, in the year 2022, um, is, is, is going to be difficult. And then grooming that person up to partner um, is going to be, you know, difficult as well. So, yeah. you know, you may actually decide to skip, if you do go this route, skip that associate step and just advertise, hey, I'm looking to sell a portion of the practice. Now, that is not very common in veterinary medicine where, you know, somebody joins just as partner immediately. Usually there's a bit of a, uh, you know, a, 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 a vetting stage, if you will, a dating a, stage, you know, a dating stage <laughs> where we want to make sure yeah. um, that we have the, the right individual before we make them, you know, into partner. So, you know, at the very, very least, you know, we want to find someone, you know, I'll advise you to find someone um, that is, that we have excellent references on um, that we know, you know, we know what they want to do. Now, um, you know, I'll, I'll say this, that many, 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 this is a common misconception, and I, I have the opportunity to work with a lot of veterinary students and a lot of recent graduates. They want to buy practices. They want to buy parts of practices. Um, they, these percentages, these partnerships are very enticing to them because they don't, they're not necessarily, and I'm talking in broad strokes here, generalities, they're not necessarily ready to buy the entire practice 100% right. of it, but they feel very comfortable uh, buying, you know, a third of it or 20% of it um, uh, with the opportunity to buy more in the future. And I mean, thinking back to in my early career before I bought my practice, I would have been so stoked to be able to buy into a practice and have a little say into what's going on. I mean, that's one of the most frustrating things about being an associate is that you don't have a voice. Um, you know, you can train, yeah. help to train your team members, your veterinary ass assistants and your technicians to the things that you want them to do. You know, here's how I like my ultrasound to be set up and blah, blah, blah. But that really, that's where the, your power ends. Um, you don't get to make key decisions and being a purchased in partner allows you to have a say in the direction the practice grows in. Yes. And I mean, and a, and a cut of the profits as well, yeah, you huge. know, and, you know, and, uh, you know, something that's valuable at the, you know, at the end of your career during your career. And so, I mean, you're working into paying for a very valuable asset. So, you know, to me, the partnership model is a, is a very, very good thing for all people involved with that one major disadvantage is we've got to communicate effectively and we've got to, to be uh, stewards of that partnership and really, uh, you know, work to grow and develop the relationship. 
Yeah, you really need to be a grown up who's willing to play nicely in the sandbox. Um, the the positive, the additional sort of unwritten upside to having uh, colleagues like that, though, is the partnership itself is a benefit. It's so it's so sustaining to our profession to be able to have somebody with which with whom you can share collegial challenges and successes, uh, with whom you can discuss cases and discuss business. Um, to have a partner, it's just as uh, beneficial as having a really good marriage. Absolutely, precisely. And so, you know, a, a lot of folks will say, will ask me, well, you know, why, why should I give up por- part of my practice? Why do I, why, I mean, if this person's going to work for me anyway, um, why should I give them, um, you know, 30, you know, say give them, sell them 30% mm-hmm. of my practice? And I say, no, no, it's not, a, it's not about getting a smaller piece of the pie. The percentage may be smaller, the, the piece may be smaller, but we're going to get a, get a, we're going to get a bigger pie. There's going to yeah. be a synergistic relationship. The practice is going to grow. That associate turned partner is going to be more productive. They're going to watch the bottom line more. And so done correctly, the pie grows. Maybe the, the percent of the, the piece of pie gets smaller, but um, ultimately your, your piece of the pie grows bigger because the pie is growing. And right. that's really the, 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 um, the optimism that we want to look at going into one of these relationships. So I want to round back to something that you said, Lance, a little bit towards the beginning where you said we really have four buckets. So let's mm-hmm. go over those four buckets for the audience and listeners so that we can make sure that we hit onto all four of those. And that might help us kind of drill down on the pros and cons of each of the different options. So there's really four big buckets that, that uh, we can drop these, these practice transition transitions into um, and on and think of it kind of like a grid, you know, if you will. So we can sell to a private veterinarian or a group of private veterinarians, or we can sell to a private equity group, a corporate, if you will. Both of those, you know, uh, on the on the on the Y axis there have two options. We can sell all of the practice or we can sell a percentage of the practice. And so, you know, to you know, to kind of summarize, we can sell a percentage of the practice to a private individual, or we can sell all of the practice to a private individual. We can sell part of the practice to a corporate group. Um, and that's the same partnership that we were talking about above, but the corporates like to call it a joint venture or a JV. And so this is, you know, kind of one of our, you know, definitions. Um, and they'll, they'll use the word JV instead of uh, partnership, or we can sell all of the practice to a corporate or, 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 or private equity group. Now we do, we do have to mention in, in kind of a smaller, uh, you know, bucket, you know, off to the side, we can talk about things like phantom equity or ESOPs, um, where we're, we are, we are, I don't want to say giving, but we are as part of the, uh, part of our team's compensation, uh, we are, we are giving out shares or we're, we're, we're compensating them with shares, uh, for their, for their efforts. And so that's kind of a smaller bucket that's off to the side a fifth category, if you will. Got it. So really the four buckets is all private one, bucket two, all corporate or private equity, bucket three, partial to private, and bucket four, partial to corporate or private equity. Exactly. Okay. And with and within those of those four, then I think, you know, we've we've Bree has mentioned the benefit. You both have been talking about the benefit of the partnership. Um, and so do you guys want to go through the pros and cons? We've talked about pros and cons a bit of, of partnerships. What do you think is the pros and cons of not partnership, but, you know, full private or full, full corporate private equity? 
Yeah, Bree, what what questions do you have about a, a 100% sell to a, uh, uh, you know, a private individual or a, a private group of veterinarians? Gosh, um, that that one seems like a pretty straightforward one to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the benefit is that you don't have any continued responsibility um, and you get all your money up front so you don't have to worry about the practice losing value. And then let's say you sell 70% to someone and over the years that 30% that's remaining becomes devalued because the practice isn't well managed. Um, uh, I hear a lot of times when there's a when there's a transition and when I bought my practice you know, 20 years ago, um, everybody basically quit within the first six months because my, ma- my practice of med- uh, medicine from San Francisco was really different from the way it was in the cabin where my hospital was at that time um, in Tahoe it was really different. People were really freaked out by it. Um, so um, the the downside, I think, is that or the upside is that you make all your money and you're in, you're out, you've you've got what you got, and you know what you have. You have a known entity, and you're done. Mm-hmm. And I'll add another upside as well. That's also the the most traditional way that practices you know have been sold over the last you know, multiple decades. Yeah. And so, you know, 100%. So that's what people are used to. What, when you list a practice with a broker or you list a practice, you know, on the, um, you know, on a, on a website, it's usually a 100%, uh, you know, practice acquisition slash, you know, transaction. And that's, that is what people are used to. And that's how practices normally have, uh, you know, been bought and sold. Um, and that's also what what a lot of banks are really more comfortable with financing. So, um, you know, we, we you know we can have a whole session on financing on on how how to get paid. Um, it is there are a few banks that will uh, finance a partial sale, like we talked about earlier, um, that are they are comfortable financing that partial sale. Most banks are much more comfortable financing that that one hundred percent acquisition. So, you know, you kind of fit. You kind of fit into a mold and sometimes when you fit into a mold it makes things you know easier to to process and to and to uh, effectuate and what are the downsides uh to selling a hundred percent to a private entity or or corporate well the, the biggest disadvantage that i can think of is just the is the overall sales price you know that's that big elephant in the room how much cash are you going to get to cash out um and and in in today's market most of the time, a private practice veterinarian just can't pay the same price, you know, that a corporate practice could. And so that private practice veterinarian has to service the debt and pay the mortgage and pay the bills, um, you know, with the profits of the practice. And, uh, you know, and, and for some reason, somehow those corporations can reach deeper in their pockets and, uh, and, and, and make those payments and pay a lot more for the practice overall. So, you know, that big disadvantage is you're going to, you're probably going to get less with a private practice uh, veterinarian. Now, having said that, some, uh, some practices, and so, you know, solo doctor practices, smaller practices, generally less than $750,000, you know, they're a a corporate sale is really not in the cards that they kind of fly under the radar. They're, they're not targets for the corporate practices. And so therefore they're not really an option anyway. So the, the sales price is, is going to be about the same. Yeah. I guess I, I'll just throw in uh, a bit of uh, observed experience uh, from a couple of a local hospital here that was sold twice with the owner financing to the buyer. Um, they bankrupted out twice before they found a third purchaser over the years who was able to make it go. 
Wow, that is scary. Yeah, that is scary, and that that is one of the scary aspects of owner over owner financing as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a very scary downside, potential downside, not always bad. Downsides to selling completely to a corporate entity, um, we feel a little dirty. Well, I'll uh, I'll be the first to say that. So I, I have sold practices to corporate you know entities before, and and I and I will be the first to say that I don't feel it's the best thing for veterinary medicine, yeah. you know, as a whole. Um, it is a, it is a very good money uh, in most cases, um, but it is it's uh, it personally I I didn't feel very good about it you yeah. know after the end of it and that's a and it's and I don't have a I'm not afraid to say that. No, I'll tell you. Um, I was I had a corporate uh, consolidator per, uh, contact me. That's how you and I met. Um, mm-hmm. Contacted me uh, about a year and a half, two years ago after uh, Bill's diagnosis when I was like, ah, oh, shaking my hands in the air, not knowing what to do with my life. Um, and um, that's the one thing that that's why my practice isn't sold right now. Uh, I'd really like uh, my beautiful small animal practice that I've carefully cultivated over the years and, and grown and grown with a big chunk of my heart to go to uh, somebody who's going to somebody or a group of somebody's who are going to continue to grow and serve my community. That That's exactly right. So I know, I mean, in, in, in you and most veterinarians have, you know, huge hearts in that aspect. So you're thinking about your patients, you're thinking about your clients, you're thinking about the community that you're going to continue to live in, you know, in the practice that you're going to probably, I'm putting words in your mouth here, continue to drive by every day. Um, and you want to feel good about that. Uh, yeah. You know what you've, what you've done for the long term. At some point, you know, those of us that, that have sold or do sell to, um, uh, folks that turn out to be corporate consolidators. I get it. I mean, I get it. It's um, uh, my practice. I did uh, just over a million two this year and there doesn't seem to be a lot of sexy interest in it because I'm a solo practitioner. And so I understand, you know, if you find somebody who's got the, uh, the, the code to the door and you want to go through the door, I understand going through the door. Yep. That's, and that's exactly where I was as well. So it, it was the the best option uh, for me at the time and the, and also the highest price yeah. option uh, for me at the time. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a, uh, um, that is a, that's a major disadvantage, um, you know, that, that comes with the territory there. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's something to think about, you know, when we hear whether it's in vets for vets or just from other colleagues, there are colleagues where that might really be the only option because they don't have the option to continue working for one reason or another, or sure. they absolutely yeah. need the cash influx for one reason or another, yeah. right? I mean, Bree, to your point about what's happened with Bill and the situation that you that you find yourself in, I mean, three years ago, if somebody would have told you this, you never would have believed it, right? No, not, and, not for a second. <laughs> this was right, not my plan. Right. <laughs> it's not my plan. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's no indicators. There's nothing, right? Yeah. And that's, I mean. That's what happens you know, when you somewhat- follow ways. When the traffic is bad <laughs> and you follow ways, this is what happens. <laughs> Learn from well, and, and that's. <laughs> that's that's what happens in life. That's what we've seen with COVID, with so many other things. And but we do also want to have compassion for colleagues that find themselves in a situation where a corporation or a private entity really is the best option because they absolutely need that money, right? And there's compassion for that situation as well. I mean, we joke that it might seem a little dirty, but it also might seem like they might be doing that with a heavy heart, right? And at least there is that option. Is that option for them if that's something that they need? 
Lance, you said that there's also this sort of like side bucket. And I know that we've gone through kind of pros and cons of full 100% sale to a private, full 100% sale to a corporation or private entity, and then also the pros and cons of partials. Um, What about the side bucket of phantom equity and ESOPs and giving out sharing, compensating shares? Can you dive into that a little bit? Sure. Um, But we actually need to back up a step and talk about the pros and cons of selling partially to a corporation. So we haven't. Oh, good. That's right. Yes, we do need to. Thank you. This is a huge conversation right now on Ben. We're having a spirited conversation about that. Yeah, because it's very common. Um, You know, there's a spirited conversation on the boards, um, but it's also a very common model right now where a corporate will come in and they'll buy, you know, anywhere from. Uh, you know, 51 to, you know, to 90% of your practice. Um, and, and you will become a partner uh, with them. Uh, and, and again, it's called a joint venture. And that, you know, that JV model, you know, really, th- there's, there's a couple of big things to point out there. Advantage wise, someone would say, well, why would I want to do that? I'm still going to be the person that's there at the practice. They're probably going to be relying on me to, you know, to manage the practice, I'm probably going to be making the hiring and firing decisions. And, and now that's all true. Those are all, you know, you, you continue to do the same thing that you were doing in that full ownership position. And the reason, reason for that is, is every one of these corporate groups, and I, in my mind, and this is, I'm going to be, you know, kind of a little bit, um, you know, nasty here, but in my mind, there's, they fall into two buckets. Those that tell you that they're going to sell or flip your practice and the others that lie to you. That that's the ultimate goal um, with most of these groups that are buying practices right now. Is ultimately they are looking to aggregate practices, and that's really what we should be calling them as practice aggregators. Aggregate practices, and then ultimately sell that uh, that as a large group to another uh, corporate aggregator, and, and it kind of becomes a, a game of of hot potato, if you will. So people ask, well, why would I keep back 10, 20, 30, 49 percent? And the reason for that is, is when that group of practices, that corporate aggregator goes to flip and sell to that, quote unquote, bigger fish, that bigger corporate aggregator, the multiple that they get, the amount of the, the of cash that they get for those practices goes up quite a bit. So and, and put this in like real examples, you may sell a practice for you know, a, a five or a six or a seven or an eight multiple, some, you know, 10 is not I've heard of to, to sell your practice to that corporate aggregator. When that corporate aggregator goes to turn and sell, then you'll, then they, they will, a lot of times they will get 15, 16, 19, 20 plus times EBIT. And that, that's going to be defined in a further podcast times uh, profitability. You can think of that. So basically your, your, let's call it your 49% is worth almost as much as the 51% that you sold in the first sell. So some folks will refer to that as a waterfall or a second sell. Um, but basically what it is, is you will have the option, the opportunity in all likelihood to sell the percent that you keep back at a later date in, in the bet, the gamble, the, you know, the investment opportunity is it's going to be worth more on that second sell. It is the first time. So to really maximize the value of your practice, you know, that, uh, that joint venture or that, that, uh, partnership model to a corporate, um, is, is really probably the best way to maximize. Now the, the downsides of this, Bree, I can see, I, I can, I can hear the concern like, what, where's the, where's the downside if that's, if that's, if that's the, uh, if that's the upside is to, is they're worth a lot more money. The downside is, is, is that's, that's 
a bet. That's an investment opportunity. I mean, it's like I, when clients call me and, and say, you know, hey, this is what's on my desk. You know, what do you think about this investment opportunity? I say, well, it's it's a lot like, you know, going to Vegas and, and Bree's not far down the road from Reno, you know, going and putting, you know, a million dollars on red. Um, it's a it's a bet. It's an investment. And there's absolutely no uh, you know, no guarantee that that investment is going to work out. Um, it depends on a lot of stuff and those things are out of your control, like the market, um, the ability of that corporate group to manage their practices. Um, you know, is there going to be a buyer that comes along? We can say historically that there has been, and historically those investments have performed very well, but in reality, we don't know what the future is going to hold, you know, for those future sales. The second downside is also a pretty big one. And I also, you know, alluded to it is you are tied into that group. You're a partner, you're still an owner, and you're still going to be working at that practice for an undetermined number of years. And so for, you know, for your purposes, Bree, to plan life, right. um, it's hard to plan life on when that second sell is going to happen. It could happen in six months, it could happen in five years, and you have zero control over that. Right. And so and, during those years, I'm continuing to play my role as the as the, the lead of my team and making decisions for my team. Um, only somebody's telling me what to do. <laughs> yeah, you, you have a, another level of complexity yeah. there where you have, you know, you have someone that you have a partner that you're working with. Um, you have probably a regional medical director that you're working with. You have a regional uh, a lead that you're working with, they um, have the ability since they're a majority owner. I've never seen one of these. It wasn't a majority right. shell. I mean, they sell, they own the majority of the practice. So they get to, they have the say, you know, they can, they have say on pricing. They have say on hiring, firing decisions. They have say on whether or not you buy a new ultrasound or not. Um, you are now in the passenger seat. You're not in the driver's seat. And I understand um, and, and those are some of the, I understand they have ahead. some pretty, um, they can have some pretty significant production requirements. Um, yeah. Most of the time veterinarians are paid on production when they work for these corporates. So, so the seller is therefore is paid on production and, and a good percentage of them that I see are actually on straight production. So um, it's, it's a, it is a, you have to, you have to work and you have to produce to get your normal salary. Right. Um, so uh, there are some distinct downsides. Now, for certain veterinarians, myself was one of them that I was okay with that. I was at a point in my career where I could continue to do uh, the things that I was doing. I can have this joint venture and hopefully have the upside of that ultimate, you know, transaction, you know, at the end of it. Um, and many of my clients that I work with, they're, they're at a point in their career where they don't have to sell wholly right now. They want to do the same things that you were talking about. Uh, Bree is scaling back. Mm -hmm having less management responsibility, having less financial responsibility. Um, I can tell you as a practice owner, um, one of the biggest you know stressors that I had is, is hey, payroll comes every two weeks yeah. and you've got to make it and everybody's got to get paid. Yeah. Um, and instantly, you know, that stressor went away uh, from my life that, that I did not have to worry about human resources. I did not have to worry about finance. I did not have to worry. I have to worry about the performance of the practice ultimately, but not that day to day, yeah. you know, uh, writing of checks. Yeah. That's a stressful feeling. It'd be nice to have that lifted off, but can we have everything and none of the bad stuff? Is there a scenario? <laughs> I wish the world worked that way, Bree. Well, yeah, me too. <laughs> um, okay. Um, we have a few minutes left. I feel like we need to um, cover what, what are we missing? 
Yeah, we haven't covered that fifth bucket, that fifth smaller bucket, and it is a very rare bucket, but it does exist, is that ESOP model. ESOP stands for Employee Stock Options Plan. Um, and it is a, that those ESOPs are used uh, extensively through other industries. And so large companies, small companies um, uh, use this as, use an ESOP as a retention tool, if you will. So they start offering stop op- stock options to their employees uh, in an attempt to, to, to retain good talent. Um, and so that stock option can be seen as a gift. It can be seen as part of their compensation package. Um, but those employees become true owners. Um, there are, the devil is really in the details here. Um, there's a lot of details about, um, you know, when is that stock option become vested? Of how are pro- how is profitability dis- dispersed out? What happens if that employee does want to leave? You know how do the, how are their shares um, bought back out of the company? How are the shares held? Are they held in a trust? Are they held you know by the individual employee? Um, the bottom line is is these are ex- incredibly complex uh, 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 models to set up, and so it takes a it takes a very specialized uh, legal team to be able to set these up. Um, they're regulated um, by this law called ERISA, uh, the Employee Retirement Investment Security Act. And I don't want to bore you with that, but ERISA is a very onerous law. Uh, ERISA is a very highly regula- regulated subject. So if you do set up an ESOP, you have to, have to, have to make sure um, that it's done correctly. And traditionally, too, not all of the company is given away in the ESOP. So, you know, there's small percentages that are given. So, you know, in a situation where, you know, a veterinarian does want to retire and really step away in a fairly short order, um, it'll take years to effectuate that, uh, that ESOP. And then also, too, they're going to continue to have to run the practice and manage the practice um, now just with, with less profits uh, overall. Uh, but there are some practices that successfully set up ESOPs um, and they retain great employees uh, and they do a great job, you know, with the ESOPs. Typically, those are larger practices. We're talking, you know, specialty centers, you know, 50 to 100 employees, um, you know, et cetera. Yeah. A friend of mine owns a few hardware stores in our area, and she has an ESOP, and she's mostly uh, mostly out of ownership. You know, she's got most of her employees own – her employees own the majority of her businesses. She's super happy with it, but it seems so complicated, and it seemed like something that, for me, should have started 10 years ago. It's a very complicated situation and, and yeah, and it's, and it's, uh, um, you know, it does take years, you know, to set up and, but I will say that, that, uh, that the vast majority of ESOPs are actually set up for retiring owners. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say vast majority, 70 something percent of ESOPs are, are put in place to allow that hardware store owner or yeah. that tech company owner or whoever it is to, you know, to retire. Typically they're used in heavy industry. Um, so, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a few big supermarkets, um, clothing manufacturers that are set up in ESOPs, um, you know, and, and so it's a tool, it's can be used and you'll see it, you know, as you research these things. Um, and it's, and it's, uh, it's just not very common in veterinary medicine. Okay. Um, Jordan, I feel like we've covered a lot of the blue sky, uh, mapping yeah. options. Yeah. <laughs> We covered a lot and, um, you know, so grateful for both of your times. And I want to be respectful of both of your times as well as, you know, our listeners, we want to keep these not too long. Um, and, you know, we want to hear your questions. We, 
um, are collaborating with Vin. So we have message boards up to continue this conversation. You can also find in the episode notes additional links and helpful information. Lance or Bree, anything else you want to leave the audience with? Well, Bree, I've got to give you some homework. Oh God! <laughs> there you go. Damn there it. you go. I know, Damn it! I know you're a very you're a very busy uh, person and a and a very tough person uh, to deal with what you're going through. Um, but I'm going to ask you to be thoughtful about what is it on a day to day basis that gives you that grind. What is it that that mm-hmm. that's the problem thing? Is it is it that management? Is it that is, is it the fact that your phone rings after hours? really dive in on what is eating into your work-life balance that, that makes you, you know, want to sell. And I think that that's going to help drive, you know, yours and hopefully the, you know, the listener's decision on how much of that practice, you know, they sell. I can tell you that I was certainly in that situation where I I just want out. I want hundred percent out. I don't want to deal with this. You know, another three to five years is, is just not going to work in my family and yeah. for my life. And ultimately, you know, I made that work, um, you know, and it, but, but it was really me stopping and thinking, what is it that, that was the big problem? Once I had that support structure around me, um, you know, the, 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 uh, partnership wasn't near as bad. So, um, that's, that's your homework is to really get granular on what's <laughs> okay. the, what's the, what is the, the problem. Okay. And then I guess I'll give homework to all the rest of us that are listening. Uh, let's jump on the message boards and talk about this stuff. Yeah, I'd yeah. love to have this conversation on the message boards. Uh, if you guys, um, if you uh, have something that you need to post anonymously, shoot it to me. Um, my email address you is- can, Or you can email podcast at Vin Foundation. Oh, perfect. That's even better. Less yep. work for and me. And that'll be in the episode notes <laughs> as well. <laughs> One Just thing me. off your plate, Brie. You always rock. <laughs> Thank you. That is why you are the fuel to our fire. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll mention too that you also have the ability to post anonymously on the regulatory and legal board as well. So I know it's not associated with it. Probably will be cross posted with this podcast uh, discussion, but uh, um, we do get uh, quite a few anonymous uh, legal and regulatory things that needed to be discussed on that board. Cool, wonderful. Like well, thank you both for your time and your expertise. And I just want to say to our listeners. You know, you have great resources here in Dr. Bree Montana and Dr. Lance Rosa. So utilize this and email us and we'll put a link um, for the collaboration with VIN. And you do not need to be a VIN member to access this message board link. Um, you can just get VIN Foundation access, which is free to every veterinary colleague. Um, all those links will be in our episode notes. Thanks so much, Bree and Lance. Take care, listeners. My Thanks pleasure. For being Always great to visit with you. Yeah, excellent. See you guys soon. Thanks Have you a too. Great race your day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Veterinary Pulse. Please check the episode notes for additional information referenced in the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe, and share review. We welcome feedback and hope you will tune in again. You can find out more about the VIN Foundation through our website, vinfoundation.org, and our social media channels. Thank you for being here. Be well.